Well, in Houston, I'm John Herter. It's Thursday, 14th day of April. Great as always to have you along, everybody. In a nutshell, from the experts is a virtual networking accelerator, helping people across industries connect very quickly in a brief, moderated, interactive show format. Hey, we're like a TED talk with interaction. So what's in it for you? The FT promise, if everything goes well, your curiosity has sparked new ideas, accelerate action, and you may have helped yourself or someone else solve a problem, make a connection, reach that opportunity faster. Making authentic connections and expanding your networks has never been more important to your business. So thank you to our underwriters for transforming the FTE vision network and community into action. They include Unique Ventures, Alliance Benefit Group, IntraPoint, Ecosystems 2030, and the Canon community. Each expert's in their market niches, connect with them and learn more at FTE.network. You'll be glad that you did. Folks, help me welcome guest expert, Ashley Bowden. Ashley is founder and principal of Untapped Social. She's a thought leader who consults on thought leadership, Ta-da! which obviously makes this discussion particularly unique and interesting. Ashley helps leaders pioneering the new world of work be seen and heard by helping them elevate their online brand and secure speaking engagements. A recruitment industry veteran with over 11 years of social media marketing experience, Ashley lives at the intersection of career development and social media, which makes her the perfect facilitator for today's discussion. She's also a dog lover, traveler, hiker, adventurer, and she's got a really cool sabbatical coming up, so you need to ask her about that. Ashley, man, you bring a ton of experience and positive energy to this important practice, thought leadership. I've been looking forward to this, kind of interested to see, well, where you and our discussion group goes with this today. So I'm going to turn it over to you. Awesome, John. Thanks so much. Thanks, everyone who took the time out of their busy day to, to hop on and have this conversation. John, I met you through one think tank. Now we're here at another. It's pretty awesome the way that worked out. And I, I'm talking about something that is near and dear to my heart, but it's also been the focus of my career for the last 11 years, and it's really evolved. So before I kind of dive into this thing that I've been noodling on and want to hash it out with everyone here, I just want to set a ground rule here about really how thought leadership came to be a thing in the first place. So it was actually coined back in 1994 by this guy named Joel Kurtzman. He was a founder, founding editor and an editor of chief of a strategy and business magazine. And he coined the term thought leader as someone who is recognized by their peers, customers, industry experts, um, someone who deeply understands the business that they're in, the needs of their customers and the broader marketplace in which they operate. He also said that they have distinctively original ideas, unique points of view, and valuable insights. So some of that we might challenge today. And I think that that's the really cool part about the FTE format. Um, I think for me personally, the de this definition has really broadened its scope since it has evolved over the last 30 years. I think in my opinion, what I've seen is the way that uh, we measure thought leadership today is by its ability to influence behavior with the people that we're targeting. 
Um, and that necessarily wasn't, that didn't come through when thought leadership originally came to be. So I think it's definitely broadened its scope. Um, more importantly, I think it's really evolved into a marketing tactic that has had a huge impact on the buyer's journey and the sales process. You might be interested to know, and this will be something that we'll make sure we put in the show notes for you later, LinkedIn and Edelman have teamed up every year to do a B2B thought leadership impact report with some pretty astounding findings year over year. It's my go-to source whenever I'm looking for data on the evolution of thought leadership. And their 2019 report actually said that 75% of decision makers say that thought leadership leads to directly signing on the bottom line. So we might look at thought leadership as great for brand awareness, great for your professional brand, but it's changed the way that marketers and sales really position themselves within the buyer's journey. And that to me is really exciting. Um, so it's becoming more and more of a reliable marketing tactic, but I think all of you will agree too that social media has just blown this up and out of proportion in some cases, and sometimes not always for the better, right? It's Social media has really allowed anyone to be a thought leader, thanks to the platforms that it provides for anyone to have and share their voice. So I don't know if you've been watching, um, Brian, I, I sure, I'm sure you have Brian Grover here. We've been talking about this a lot, how what's been interesting to me is really seeing where LinkedIn has made investments in thought leadership in the last even six months. I don't know if all of you have seen this, but I just, I have chills actually. They've been investing in adding editors and PR experts onto their payroll as they kind of flush out and give light, shine the light on the LinkedIn creator economy, which has a direct impact into the conversation we're having today because LinkedIn is prioritizing and ranking content uh, for folks to have more of an influence into the conversations that they're a part of. I personally have seen a rise in director of thought leadership job titles on job board sites like LinkedIn jobs and indeed, so you can see where in the B2B space in particular, but also in the B2C space, where the investments have been made in platforms like LinkedIn to really elevate the next wave of thought leadership. I think what's also worth noting before we switch gears and really dive into this challenge that I've been having is when thought leadership came to be, and maybe you might have come to this conversation with, okay, thought leadership, you know, how I know it is, is portraying like outward, right, to our external audiences. How do, how do I become a thought leader in front of um, an external audience? How do I position myself externally? But I want you to keep in mind that the evolution of thought leadership has really also included the internal conversation. And what I mean by that is clients are now coming to me and saying, yeah, I want to be known as a thought leader in my industry, but I also want to be known as a thought leader in front of my colleagues and the people that I work for and with. So as you're thinking about thought leadership, let's not pigeonhole ourselves into just thinking about this external position that we um, portray, but let's also think about how we're seen as thought leaders within the company that we keep. Um, so that's, I just wanna kind of lay that ground rule as we're kind of moving forward. That's my perspective on the evolution of thought leadership. I'd love to get your thoughts and, and we'll have that conversation in just a moment. But I want to pose this 
thing that I've been noodling on when it comes to thought leadership and thought leaders. So for those of you who don't know, my job is to manage my clients' online brand and reputation in the space. And a lot of times their external position in the market and also their internal position in front of their colleagues and peers. And oftentimes what that means is I'm posting or coming up with posts on LinkedIn to post on their behalf. A lot of times I'm drafting up talking points for their upcoming speaking engagement, or I'm recommending industry trends that I think they should have a point of view on, and I'm helping them craft that messaging. So recently I've been helping a client of mine kind of stand up this monthly virtual event for his target audience, which is up and coming HR leaders who are influencers in big conversations, but not necessarily decision makers. I'm gonna call him Joe uh, for the sake of this, this conversation. So Joe is a partner at an insurance brokerage firm in Boston. He's responsible for sales and business development. And he doesn't always know the intricacies of what his colleagues do. So he's not the one negotiating employee benefits renewals or implementing new HR technology for his clients. That's not his role, but he is responsible for being the face of his company. And he's always out in front of potential customers. So the question that I've been noodling on lately, and I want to open it up to you, is do you have to be a subject matter expert in your industry in order to be a good thought leader? John, I don't know if you want to pull the group and see. Yeah, thanks. It might be. Yeah, we so actually it's got these questions, gang. So if you go ahead and, and take a few minutes to answer these, Ashley, why don't you kind of give a little context? I guess that that would help. Sure. Yeah. So number two is is um pretty straightforward, right? Do you do you have to to know the intricacies of your industry or the business, um, like really, really in detail, do you ha have to be known as a subject matter expert in what you do in order to be a thought leader, in order to be seen as a thought leader? So that's number two. And tied to that back to number one is, you know, as I've kind of given you a little bit more context into the evolution of where thought leadership came from and where it is now, what do you think the purpose of thought leadership should be? Exactly. So we're doing pretty good. We've got about half of the people who've responded. We're, we're working ourselves along there. And I see that uh, one of our uh, guests here, Brian Skeels, well, he is a subject matter expert. And, uh, you know, he was asking, well, does, uh, does a fellow, um, darn it, I lost it, Brian, uh, make you, does a, a technology fellow, is that a thought leader? And uh, so technology fellow would also be a subject matter expert. So he's right on that. <clears throat> yeah, interesting. And, and what, sorry, what do we mean by fellow? Well, it's usually associated with professional societies as being an expert or, or you know, top of your class. Top, like I'm also an ASME fellow. There are also civil engineering fellows, but mainly the professional societies, some universities, um, for example, the whole I term got started at Trinity University back in, in Dublin years ago when their peers amongst the, the professorship, when they recognize somebody as being really top, you know, cream of the crop, 
they elected them to um, a society of fellows. And that's where the term um, kind of got started back in the 18, or yeah, the 1800s. So, I, and a lot of people don't, you know, when they see the term fellow, and you hear it on NPR too, where people say he's a so-and-so fellow with one of these tank, think tanks in, in, in uh, Washington or whatever. So the term fellow, and, and so I'm trying to relate those two because we're trying very hard to have dual career ladders. So you've got a management career ladder and you've got a technology career ladder. And, and you can be one or the other, at least toward the top, but you can't be both. So that's why I'm trying to I'm I'm trying to get into your head a little bit, Ashley, as to what what you mean by a thought leader, because it's provocative to me in what I'm trying to help and promote and foster at our company. And I put in the chat a picture of our fellows wall. Exxon does it, uh, Schlumberger does it, um, GE does it. You know, they they have a, you know where they had. Uh, Parker Hannafin does it, uh, where they have a recognition of their thought leaders or their, their top people and, and recognize that. So I just wanted to put that out there for everybody to kind of, as you put it, Nat, uh, Ashley, noodle on. Right. Thank you, Brian. And by the end of today's discussion, I think you'll, I know, and I promise that you'll really have a, a broader understanding of what makes for a good thought leader and, and what we mean by thought leadership, because um, I think where we started and where thought leadership started, it's a little limiting, in my opinion. Um, and some of the results here really show that, that it's not just one or two sort of um, things that make for good thought leadership and, and the purpose of thought leadership. I'm just looking at the results now. Yeah, exactly. I think it's interesting when we're looking at what's more important, gaining followers, zero. Producing good content, very high. I'm so glad to hear this. We have star students in the room, John. <laughs> star students, absolutely. And this is my personal opinion, but I'd like to think I I gathered some data and some, some expertise along the way. Producing good content is absolutely more important when it comes to thought leadership and when you produce good content that's authentic to you you're going to gain followers it just that's yeah, the way it happens if you go on down then it says you you know do you have to have a lot of followers to be influential well 30 percent say well yeah you do right but yeah. then 60 percent say no and you know some are unsure what do you think about that yeah it, in the beginning i thought it was we're sort of it's the chicken and the egg like rat race but um I fully believe that, like I said, if you are influential by sharing your stories and we'll talk more about what makes for a good thought leader, but if you kind of check more, the more boxes that you check when it comes to the characteristics that make for a good thought leader, those followers will come. I am not a proponent, proponent of buying followers because they're usually not folks that are going to engage in your content or buy from you. I'd rather see you have a network of 2000 followers who are engaged and are prospective buyers than 10,000 followers who are just spam or never going to engage with you. My two cents. Righto. So 
uh, why don't we go ahead and open the floor to everybody out there? If you guys, if you wouldn't mind, you know, introduce yourself and share your comment on, you know, what do you think makes a good thought leader? Why? Um, anybody like to take the first shot at this? You're welcome to take the floor. Looks like we have a couple of hands raised. Link, yeah. why don't you go first? Yeah, I think I saw your hand up first, then Brian Grover. I want to touch on that as a followers thing, and then I had a question for you. Um, okay. There are two questions that kind of go into each other, and we've talked about them, so don't be worried. <laughs> but uh, my my thought was definitely on the quality of followers. You could have ten thousand followers, and you've never met them, and they don't know you, and they're liking content and creating a bunch of noise on on your on your, your profile and stuff. And then the stuff that's high quality that you'd like to engage in. Now those analytics within LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever you're using is trying to read all of that noise and not pulling out the quality that you'd actually like to see. So I'm very specific. I don't add everybody that adds me um, and don't follow everyone that follows me because I'd like to follow specific and I'll take the time to go through and unfollow people as well and, and take them off to, to move away that noise. So that's just one thought I had on that. So the two questions I had was for you, Ashley, is um, when I've heard a lot of conversations in the future workspace that they think that the term thought leader is arrogant and narcissistic and that it's not something that in fact they throw away the person because they claim to be a thought leader because they think they're going to get duped. What are your thoughts on that? And the second piece is uh, the second question is when it comes to being a thought leader with a certain subject matter that might be sensitive, like right now, like I'm a thought leader in the, I guess it'd be cultural competency, diversity, equity, inclusion space, but DEI has a lot of weight and assumptions around it. So it can actually dismiss me. And so now we're moving towards this whether we we count race or whether we count that you're LGBT, whether we even measure that in hiring practices. But for my own sake, I want someone to see that I have a background and all of that and not have that be erased. So when it comes to thought leadership and how to frame yourself and with the market moving so rapidly, is there any danger zones that you would recommend that we look at as a thought leader? So the danger zones question, and then what do you think about the narcissistic thoughts or whatever about the word itself? Yeah, perfect. And I will say just to your point too, I love that you've taken a quality over quantity approach with how you monitor your LinkedIn network. I, I always tell people, use it as your professional Rolodex, like be, be smart, like drown out the noise. Don't add everyone that asks to, you know, connect with you. Um, because there's a quality that you want to maintain in that, in that, um, in that network, in your circle. So I love that you do that. I think it's a great best practice, best practice for everyone. Um, number one, claiming yourself as a thought leader in your LinkedIn tagline or, uh, in your pitch deck, when you're trying to solidify more speaking engagements can be met with some animosity. It's not always a negative, it's not always a positive connotation. I would say, just do what you do and be authentic about it and show that you're passionate, but don't use the word thought leader to describe yourself. Um, that would be a general best practice, uh, in my opinion. It, it, people will see if, if you're out there talking about what you are passionate about or about the industry or opinions that you have on trends, that those opportunities to speak and to become a thought leader and to become more visible are going to happen naturally. 
Um, I hope I answered your question. Number two, if you are trying to position yourself as more of a visible industry pioneer in maybe some sensitive topics or sensitive buckets, um, I think best practice here is there's a real balance and we could have a whole conversation on this link, but I think there's a real balance with being bold and putting your stake in the ground about what you believe and, 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 um, and sort of being vague enough that you can attract a large audience, right? I would say in your bold statements and in your passion, don't lose sight of that because the right customers and the right audiences are going to want to work with you and have you on stage because of your passions. So if there's anything that you say that's met with animosity, really look at the person delivering that. Is that someone that you want to work with? Is that someone that you want in your circles? Is that a population or a group that is going to fulfill you in your work? Do you want to spend your energy there? Um, I think that's, that's the best way I can answer that. Yeah, I love this where uh, Matt's really, you know, hits home with me. He's talking about, hey, you know, thought leadership is like authenticity. It comes from your actions, right? Come on, you got to earn this. But then as Arthur says, he's like, you know, there's a lot of narcissists that are doing really damn well in this thing. <laughs> so it's... Uh... Yeah, fair. And I think whether we call them narcissists or what have you, in the end, that's going to come out. So I always say, stay, stay passionate, stay in the lanes where you know you can show up authentically on a LinkedIn post externally when you're on stage, stay in those lanes. Because it's like if I were to come on here as a thought leader and try to recite like the German language, that takes a lot of effort for me to do. And you're going to see right through it that I'm not a fluent German speaker, right? So I always say best practice is that's, that's going to come out anyway. And it's hard. It's hard to kind of filter through the noise and the crap, especially online. But the more that you connect with the audiences that a thought leader is surrounding themselves with, I think you're going to start to see through, see through a lot of that. Yeah. Right. You know, um, one of the things that comes to my mind is, you know, we have thought leaders right now, right with us right now. But what does it take? What kind of commitment? Uh, you know, it yeah, it's a great question. And then Brian Grover, I know you have your hand raised as well. Sorry. What does it take to be a good, good thought leader? I see, I see thought leaders who are good thought leaders have really invested in their personal and professional brand, but they've also gotten really clear about their voice. They've gotten really clear about where they stand with certain trends or movements or eras um, with topics. So I see it as sort of a, a journey and not a destination, if you will. And we'll get into some of this as well, but um, I think there's a commitment of facilitating dialogue and dialogue that matters. And we can have a whole other conversation on that too, but I think there's a commitment where the, good, the best thought leaders I have seen and I have worked with really bring people together and they say, you know, this is, this is important dialogue. This dialogue needs to happen. And I'm going to get the right people in the room and hash this out. And maybe policies result, as, you know, from that, from those conversations, maybe standards um, put, get put into place or new products and solutions are brought to market because of it. Got it. So we've got uh, Grover and then Hani. So <clears throat> when I think about thought leadership, I kind of come at it from 
kind of two perspectives from like almost like the creativity and fiction sort of realm. And, and the first thing being, there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing, there's not like, it, it, there might not be a new thing to have a perspective on, but the thing is, is that our experiences as professionals and what we dealt with will end up making us a thought leader from the fact that we have something unique to say. I mean, I can relate my position on anything to the 1975 film Jaws. So I don't think many other people will do that. Um, and that's just my unique position, my unique way of approaching thought leadership. The other thing is another, you know, adage in fiction writing, which is show don't tell. I am immediately skeptical of someone that comes in and says, I am a thought leader on X, as opposed to being like, well, here's what I think about X. And it's, it's, it's a demonstration of, of their expertise. And I guess uh, I want, I really wanted to take the mic to, to ask one question, which is, you know, I'm kind of, kind of new. I'm four months into working on my own and trying to become a thought leader and act like a thought leader, but the, the, the imposter syndrome is real. So how, how do I, I guess, reassure myself that I have something important to say, like my, like, I know my perspective is unique, but the little voice in the back of my head is just saying, so what, who wants to hear this position? So how do I, how do I alleviate those fears would be my question for you guys. Yeah, that's great, Brian. Let me touch on a few things. And then, I mean, it's a, it's a big question. I don't, I don't have a, a direct answer for you, but I will say with so much noise, I, I do a lot of my work on LinkedIn. That's where I set up camp and it is very difficult to cut through the noise and have a unique opinion or a unique perspective on something when you're sitting there and thinking it's probably already been done, but I do believe that everyone here and everyone in the world does have a unique voice. And even if you're talking about a similar topic, you bring your own personal experiences, stories, and anecdotes to that conversation within that unique context. So um, I think it's worth, it's worth being confident in that, but I also think it's worth really looking at, do you have to have these full-fledged opinions in order to be seen as a thought leader. To me, a good thought leader might not always have a unique perspective on a trend, but he or she or they can bring in the people to have a dialogue and really maybe hash out that half of an idea or hash out a perspective and then it evolves into something that's greater than itself. So I think there's merit in that. And that's why I challenge the notion that you have to have a full-fledged idea or a unique perspective in order to be a thought leader. I think some of the best thought leaders may not always have original ideas, but they bring the right people together and they're a broker of connection and they can create an idea or a dialogue that matters and influences behavior amongst a group. That's what I believe to be a, a great thought leader in this century. Um, so Brian, you make an excellent point. And the show don't tell and the imposter syndrome, yes, very real. Um, but I think one way to sort of alleviate some of that fear is if you work for a company or even if you work for yourself and your company has a list of corporate values, right? Strength, resilience, um, play, whatever, whatever it is. 
you as the employee or the face of the company, someone who works at the company can take a set of corporate values that your company is founded on. For example, maybe one of them is resilience. And maybe you create a blog or a video or a LinkedIn post or a piece of content where you yourself have experienced resilience or have had to have resilience and you share your own unique story and you talk about your kids or your vacation spot or, you know, um, a family member passing. And then it becomes that more, much more relatable and much more um, likely to sort of compel or initiate a response because you're creating a dialogue around something that's personal to you. And even though there's a lot of noise on LinkedIn, it is becoming a lot more human. And I think that's a good thing um, to some extent. So anyway, Brian, you've, you've touched upon a lot here. And I think um, it's one of the reasons why we need to challenge some of the preconceived notions about what a thought leader is. And over, uh, to Hani. Hani, your, your question or comment? Yeah, uh, thank you. This is actually a really interesting discussion. I, I wanted to... Uh, maybe provide a, a bit of perspective because actually I I use thought leader on my LinkedIn profile. <laughs> I, it's, it's right there actually. Um, and I'll tell you my thinking around that. Um, uh, to Brian's comment uh, earlier though, um, you know, this um, sometimes um, confusion or duality of this idea of you know technical expertise people call them different things actually i used to work in schlumberger before where we did use the term fellow and then i worked at shell where we had a different uh, so-called um, technical ladder and there i was also what's called principal technical expert which is equivalent actually to the fellow in uh, in schlumberger However, I think that's quite different actually than thought leadership, at least from my personal perspective and my own experience. Because in fact, in subsequent roles that I had at Shell, um, I would either sort of delve into this uh, generic uh, role that people would call thought leadership for whatever that label is worth. And in that capacity, typically, it is less about depth than it is about breadth and, and interconnectivity of, uh, of individuals, both within an organization and across organizations, okay? So think of it as sort of a, this hub and spoke model. So at least that's what I ended up morphing into. And that's actually what I enjoyed more, to be honest. And when I put thought leadership, uh, thought leader on my profile, it wasn't, you know, um, in, 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 in quest of, uh, you know, self, uh, uh, you know, uh, promotion or anything uh, to that extent. But it was really trying to describe what I enjoy doing the most, actually. And in most of my LinkedIn activity, similar to what a lot of people said, um, it, it is not so much about uh, 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 quantity of the postings as it is, hopefully, what I think is sort of quality or saying something that is, I think is either important to people or profound in some way or another, okay? Mm -hmm. um, so I don't do, you know, big, uh, I, I wish I did. I don't do big posts or anything like that. Other people actually on this call, I know do a much better job 
like for example, I see uh, Matt Bell. I think he can he can say a lot about some of the real good content he puts out there. I don't have that quality of content, but it's for me, it's more about the connecting people. It's for me, it's a vehicle of interconnectivity. And hence, I care a lot about my network. So I don't want to introduce people there that I don't really know. It's not so much about uh, do I have, uh, you know, have I worked with them? Have I seen them before? But it's more about do we have something in common? So I tend to err more on the side of can we actually have a, a dialogue or a discourse about some aspects of what I know? Because I regard myself a lot less of an expert in anything now right. as more of a, a connector. Okay, so anyway, that's just a perspective I, I wanted to share. Yeah. The Bashis? I don't know if I have imposter syndrome, but I have an anxiety, authentic anxiety, after listening to such good points brought forward by many of these folks. So, honey, really, really good points you made. I, I want to go back to the part of authenticity. And I, again, it's just my feeling, not even my belief. I think, um, honey, I think it's great that you tell, that you describe yourself, that you tag yourself as a thought leader because that's a term, you know what it means and you self uh, fulfill those uh, requirements of, of the term. So I don't think there's anything wrong in that. Having said that, I always believe I come from a different culture. You can tell I come from India. I was 25 years old when I left the country. The culture was such that if you're really good at something, let others find out about you. You don't have to say that about yourself. Here, it is completely different, right? So I'm, I still try to straddle those two boats. So here, here's something what I'm going to say. Right now, I feel an urge to evangelize what I dabble in. I don't know what that is. I don't want to call anything that. What is that? That is machine learning and uh, big data and artificial intelligence. And I feel that in healthcare field, especially with the advent of CRISPR and other technologies, Someday I want to do something about it. Where am I compared to that? At, at the very bottom. But as I've started dabbling in those things, some of that excitement reminds me of when I was in 11th grade solving difficult differential equation problems. So that's what tells me there is an authenticity in me. Now, would someone be able to see that? I don't know. But I'm not going to you know, go out and, and prove myself to be a thought leader. My job is going to be to really understand what I know and how can I communicate that. And by the way, honey, you, honey, you communicated your points very well. So I will see where I am you know, as authentically and as gradually where it is. Network in a positive and constructing manner, not to self-elevate, because from all of this comes a satisfaction of being in the air arena and doing things that matter. Mm, well said. And if I could touch on Hani and Dabashi's points, there's a lot there. Um, Hani, you had talked about depth versus breadth. I think a good thought leader exercises, you know, lives within that middle ground and prioritizes both. But the the, the foundation here is the quality. So, and I wanna, um, I wanna speak to Arthur's point too about, um, you know, making sure that 
your quality of posts or what have you, wherever platforms you're on, that it's a quality over quantity approach. Arthur, you had said you had talked to a marketing agency that said that building an audience without posting a minimum of four to five weeks is tough or four to five times per week is tough. It really depends, but I always tell my clients that I'd rather see you post one time a week with a post that matters. And to your point, Debashi's is something that's meaningful and you're passionate about something that excites you because that's going to come through in your delivery and it's going to, um, it's going to, you know, involve more engagement than posting five times a week on LinkedIn and trying to understand its algorithm. And, um, then it just becomes noise. So I always say exercise a quality over quantity approach when it comes to, um, curating your circles and your network and the content that you actually produce. Um, and I think to the point of like, whether or not to name yourself as a thought leader, why don't you just embody it? Why don't you just embody the traits of a good thought leader? And it doesn't mean you always have to be posting on LinkedIn all the time. Maybe it's you're speaking up in a think tank conversation that you have once a week. Maybe you're creating your own mastermind group and saying, this is where I believe the industry is headed. You know, you know, let's, let's talk about this. Let's have a discussion, um, those sort of things. So I think there's a level of embodiment that speaks for itself rather like to Brian Grover's point show don't tell um there were some other points there were such good points in both of those discussions that I think I lost um the other thing I wanted to mention but. oh that's great I mean we've got time for maybe another comment anybody want to piggyback on with their experience Chase I know for example you're coming from uh the armed forces background and in, in, a, in a new role these days Yeah, so thought leadership within the military is incredibly difficult to attain. You know, a lot of it is centered around this idea of air quotes innovation right now, and everything is personality driven. So if you get a cohort of like minded individuals, we can get a lot of things done in a very rapid fashion. For the most part, those folks are independently engaged and not uh, necessarily empowered by leadership. Conversely, the folks that we do put into roles as thought leaders are identified based on their promotability potential and not necessarily their acumen in that space. So a lot of those folks that are identified are immediately uh, disregarded, for lack of a better term, because we kind of know the game on the inside. So what I put in the comment there was a lot of the folks that we see be uh, highly successful in thought leaderships in their area leave the service because they get frustrated and they immediately find radical success when they get out into their civilian career. So it's an incredibly difficult and interesting challenge within the walls of the services. Cool. Wow. Yeah. That's wow. A, what, a what kind of success do they have? Uh, a lot of companies, I mean, getting into consultancy specifically because they understand the intricacies of, the, of how the military works. I'm on the acquisition and contracting side. so. And when we try to do things better, faster, smarter, cheaper, it's not in the grading metrics for individuals within the service. We're graded a very specific way. And as long as we meet that, we get paid every two weeks. So there's not an incentive there. So people that are savvy and want to do things better, faster, cheaper, and better for the warfighter get frustrated. They leave. They get high-powered consultancy jobs and things like that. And they help accelerate on the industry side. And we lose that we have a massive vacuum of uh, incredibly valuable talent that we lose on a daily basis because mm -hmm. there's not a roadmap for them to to stay in their role that they enjoy now they have to promote or move so yeah, yeah. and and 
I, I totally see that there are systems in place and those might be hard, hard to rub up against for sure. I see that in the B2B space as well, where sometimes companies, you know, from the top down peg, like they tap certain leaders and say, you need to be a face. We want you to be a face of this particular business unit, or we want you to be a face of this particular product. And they might not necessarily have this, the skills or the not, like the innate ability to be a good thought leader. And there's some folks within an organization that don't know that they're good thought leaders and, you know, they're, cause they're not trying to be, but they just, they know a lot about their industry or what have you. And they, they check a lot of those boxes. So um, that's why, you know, I've been seeing sort of the, an evolution here of companies investing in thought leadership from the top down and really looking at what skills make for a good thought leader and being open to that. But also it's kind of like the conversation we have about individual contributors versus managers. Some folks within an organization are great individual contributors. And so we naturally think that we're going to promote them to, and they're going to be a good manager. Mm-hmm. That's a totally different skill set, right? I would argue the same is true in this space. Um, when, when looking at who's a good thought leader in the organization, um, who presents themselves well, who has good delivery, who's passionate about the topics, but yeah, there's systems in place that um, don't always support that. You know, I'm so, I wish we had time to get everybody else's input, but we're out of time. So Ashley, any last words? Oh man, I feel like we just got started. Well, there there are some leave behinds that John's going to send you uh, on Top Social. We've created an infographic of the seven traits or characteristics that make for a good thought leader. Um, so we'll make sure that you have those. I would say the biggest thing, if you can walk away with one thing today, is to really challenge yourself to think differently about what makes for a good thought leader. Having dozens of followers or, you know, presenting in a way where you only have fully fledged out ideas to publish, those don't, or being a subject matter expert, those sort of characteristics are, are, are great, but, um, they don't necessarily need to fit the mold of what a good thought leader looks like today. And I think the other thing too is don't be afraid to be bold. Don't be afraid to put a line in the sand. If you're passionate about a topic um, or something going on in the industry or the work that you love to do, don't be afraid to take a stand because the right people are the people that you're gonna attract. Um, and get started on LinkedIn or what, whatever social or internet platforms where you have a presence and where you connect with your audience best, make sure that your profile there is optimized and that you're having conversations. I always say it's far better at this point from everything I know about LinkedIn in particular, it's far better for you to spend 15 minutes commenting on other people's posts about conversations that you're passionate about than trying to post something of your own on LinkedIn. So really be that person that engages in dialogue elsewhere rather than posting something just to post something. Well, thank you very much, Ashley. Hey folks, how was the talk and discussion today? Gus, go ahead I, and drop that 30 I just, I just wanted to say real quick, I don't know how Ashley is so young and so pretty and yet so stage all at the same time. So that that's amazing. So I'll, I'll, I'll drop my hand now, but that's what I, I wanted to get that in. It, it's been amazing. Thank you, Brian. Really appreciate that. That's like a follow-up to me. So folks, take that 30 seconds and fill out the FTE survey. Let us know how we did. 
If you or somebody you know is a thought leader and wants to test drive your current idea, just like Ashley did to help others learn, connect, uh, you know, the call for experts is open. So connect with us. So is our call for annual members and company underwriters. Do you want to be benefiting from transforming this vision of FTE network and community into action for good and good business? Let us know. Share FTE with your friends and your networks. This is how we grow. Bring them, invite them to our events and also to our library of experts on the YouTube and podcasts. Next up on our FTE show is going to be April 25th, Artificial Intelligence Project Basics. Now it's very different, right? For business managers. Our guest expert, Manny Burnaby, spotlights some of the typical pitfalls to watch out for when launching new AI projects, along with some practical structured framework and approaches that help reduce risk and improve the likelihood of success. Don't want to miss it. Register now on our website, fte.network. Folks, we're out of time. Man, Ashley, thank you once again. What a great time, great dialogue. And to all of you for making time to connect and learn from the experts. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next time. Everyone, thank you.